Hey, it's Kevin here. I just want to pause and say thank you so much for joining us online today. You've joined us in a series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you haven't yet, you can listen to all of our messages at thrivechurch.me or if you haven't done this yet, download our app. Now on to today's message. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right, it's great to have you guys with us. I want to welcome all those that are joining us uh, online today in the online world. I hope that uh, your bed or your couch uh, is great today uh, as you're joining church from there. It's good to have you guys with us. Uh, Quickly, uh, something's happening today that you need to know about. If you're new with us and you've never attended our Connect Gathering, every month, the first Sunday of the month, we do something called the Connect Gathering for new guests. And after service today in our cafe, it'll take about 45 minutes. We have child care available. We have snacks available. There are no excuses. Um, it's going to be a little hot today, too, after church. And so it's a perfect chance to attend our Connect Gathering for new guests after church today. I hope you have a chance to do that. But if you're joining with us today, maybe you're, you're new with us, you've actually joined us in a series as we're going verse by verse through a book in the Bible called First Thessalonians. Now, I love going verse by verse and chapter by chapter through a book in the Bible. We do it a few times a year, and here's one of the reasons why it keeps this preacher honest, right? So I'm not preaching on Joshua or Elijah or Moses and some things that are really low-hanging fruit, easy to preach. Uh, I get a chance to preach things I've never preached before. I get a chance to look at Scripture in a fresh way. The reason we do this is so that you can also follow through Scripture Read it every week and say, okay, they're going to be in, in this chapter, and my heart is, is I can answer the questions you're asking about that scripture and what God is saying there. You're probably wondering, what does that really mean? And that's our heart with that. And so we'll, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, I know a lot of my illustrations come from my four-and-a-half-year-old. Um, that's the space I live in. If you have a young child, maybe that's yours too, and you can identify but we have a lot of conversations. As I was thinking about this message, I thought, you know what? I probably have more conversations with him than anybody on planet Earth. We're just talking all the time. And he will not let my wife and I talk because he wants to get involved in the conversation too. And so it's really hard. But one of the conversations we had recently was something that was super cute but also super impactful. So what I started doing was this. When I would get him something, I'd say, do you know why I'm giving this to you? No, why? I'd say, because I love you. That's why I'm doing this for you. He says, because you love me, because I love you. And then what he did recently was just amazing. Here's what he did. He drew me a little picture, and he drew it. He said, do you know why I drew this for you? And I said, no, tell me why. He says, because I love you. And, and now when I do something for him, he said, you got that because you knew I'd like it, didn't you? He says that to me. I said, yeah, yeah, I did. He says, and because you love me. And there's a concept that he has grasped that I'm really happy about that we, especially if you're a Christ follower, should grasp. And the, and the concept is this. Love does. We think love is. Love does. And that's the concept that he's grabbed onto. And as we look at Scripture today, matter of fact, the Apostle Paul tries to convey this to that church in Thessalonica. He writes this letter to them. And the idea is that love is the glue of the Christian faith, and I want to kind of expound on that today. Now, the backdrop of this before we jump into it was that the Apostle Paul um, felt God calling him to a city called Thessalonica, the region of Macedonia. He had a dream, and he saw this guy waving his hand saying, we need help, come. So Paul launches out to go find out what's going on in Macedonia. He goes to a region, into a city where there were no followers of Jesus there. Nobody had ever heard the name of Jesus there. 
So Paul does what he does, right? He starts teaching them about Christ, about the resurrection, about what's happening. And so he's teaching them about this. And then the Jews begin to believe. They say, okay, yeah, you're right. He's Messiah. Not only that, God-fearing Greeks, non-Jews said, yeah, we believe too. And so literally in three weeks, a church just birthed out of the gospel right there in this city. That's good news, right? 2,000 years ago in this city. Here's the bad news. A lot of people didn't like it. So here's what happened. They began to threaten Paul and his team with violence. They got to a place where they said, you know what? We will hurt you if you don't stop preaching this name. So they tell Paul, Paul, here's what we need you to do. We'll get you on the first helicopter out to Berea. There wasn't helicopters 2,000 years ago. <laughs> you know, the first donkey, the first boat or whatever they took there um, out to Berea. So Paul goes to Berea. He exits that way. And those guys follow him. It's like trolls on social media that follow you and just like troll you, right? They're always like hating on your posts. Like that's what happened there with him, except there was physical violence, not some troll on social media. And so Paul goes to Berea. But here's what happened. Paul only spent three to four weeks with these people. He saw them receive Christ. He saw them water baptized. He saw them believe. He was excited. And because of the persecution, he had to leave. And Paul wanted to get back to them so bad. Uh, most uh, scholars believe he never got back to these guys he loved. So here's what he did. He wrote a letter to them. He wrote a letter that the leader could read to them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. And here's the coolest thing about what we're going to read today. This is believed to be Paul's first letter to any church he ever wrote. Paul's first letter. So what you're going to read today, what we're going to look at today, is sacred. It's 2,000 years old that he wrote to real people facing real circumstances. And the way they would do it, we're not going to do that here today, so the way they would do it is they had that, that parchment scroll, and the leader, the elder, the pastor would read the whole letter in one sitting, all the chapters. I'm not going to do that to you today. Don't, don't, don't look at me like, oh, we chose the wrong church today, honey. Oh, this is going to be long. <laughs> but, but, but what we're going to look at is the final part of Paul's letter to this church in Thessalonica. He wanted to get back to them. He wanted to, to, to see how they were doing, so he writes this letter to him. And what you're going to see here is Paul is going to speak about the glue of love and what love does. Let's go ahead and look at that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. Now see, when you first give your life to Christ, you're worried about pleasing yourself. Before you know Christ, your life is all about you, right? When you become a Christ follower, the, it switches from you to Christ. And you want to please Christ, even though it may cost you pleasing you, right? It says this, you live in this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3 says this, it's God's will for you to be holy and to stay away from all sexual sin. That each of you must control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Now watch this here, because Paul's not just writing this as a shot in the dark. Do you realize that he's dealing with real issues in that little church there? And here is the issue. He says, like, stay away from all sexual sin. And we'll talk about that. You know, hey, just, you know, God has parameters. He loves you. But here's what he says. But here's what they're facing. Watch this. He says, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter, by what? Sexual sin, by violating his wife. In that group of believers there, there was a guy or some guys who maybe thought cheating on his wife was no big deal. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And so Paul deals with that issue in their local congregation. 
He says, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So if you're mean mugging me today, you ain't rejecting me, you're rejecting God. No, I'm just kidding. So, but I want you to look at verse 9 because this is the key here. When this was written, you understand that there, there, there were no chapters and verses. That was all inserted later. This is one central thought. So he says, hey, guys. He says, guys, like, in that current, can you, can you just stop cheating on your wives? It's not cool. doesn't make God happy. And then he says this, and this is key. He says, but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. He ties this together, love and, and this whole idea here. He says, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers through Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and will not need to depend on, uh, on others. Now what Paul does here is he says, hey, hey, you know, dudes, Thessalonica Church, whatever it's called, Thessalonica Community Church, whatever. <laughs> 22,000 years ago, he says, guys, stop cheating on your wives. It's not cool. It displeases God. God's not called us to do that. And then he says something to the whole church that brings it all together. He says, I don't need to write to you about loving each other. Why do you do that but do it even more? Why would Paul go straight from that to love? Because Paul is trying to get the idea across to them that love is not just a feeling. It's more than a feeling, as the, the, the band said one time, right? He said, it, love, love isn't is, and if you're English majors, you're going to love this message. All the ones in the first century loved it. Love isn't is, love does. Love isn't is. It's just, oh, it's, I, I, I'm in love with this. He said, love does. And he said, what love will cause you to do is to stop from doing the things that hurt other people. He says, that's what love will ca cause you to do. And he tries to get them to understand that the importance of love. And today, what I want to do is help you understand about the biblical concept of love, which we're surrounded in a culture that teaches something that's not a biblical concept of love. They don't understand what love is. We're surrounded by media that teaches us that, that love is this euphoric feeling of happiness and joy about everything and everyone. When you look at the biblical meaning of love and definition of it, and what God calls us as Christ followers to do, it is not that. It's something much more than that. Matter of fact, it was interesting. I, I was watching this debate one day, or this not, it was like a panel discussion, and you had each major world religion represented, all right? And you had a guy who was a, a pastor and a Christ follower there. And they were going through about their religions and all this stuff and their rules and regulations about in order to join our religion, you've got to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, if you, to, to, you've got to do this. And then... So like laws, rules, and the Christian guy gets there, he says, well, says to love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as you would love yourself, love others as Christ has loved us. And the other guys couldn't get it. They said, no, 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 that's not a religion. A religion has to have rules and commandments that dictate what people do and don't do and when they do it when they don't do it. So, I mean, and this is a good, it's a good discussion. They wouldn't argue, but the Muslim brothers said, hey, we're told when to pray, where to kneel, where to face, uh, uh, face, where to fast, when to fast, what time to do it, how to do it. That's religion. How do you govern people by this idea of love? 
I mean, how do you govern a nation with that? Because every world religion can govern a nation except for Christianity. It can't govern a nation because it's not made of rules. It's made of gospel transformation by each heart. You see what I'm saying? And so they couldn't get it. He says, how in the world? And so the guy began to try to explain the biblical concept of love and what it means as Christ followers to love other people because these guys couldn't understand it. See, Jesus was asked this too. A Jewish scholar came to him and said, hey, okay, out of all the 613 commands, what's the greatest commandment? You tell me what the one greatest is, because the, the Jews all believe that Torah, 613 laws, all were, were equally as important. You break one, you break all. And he said this. He said, to love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. He was quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. He said that, the whole law is summed up in that. This idea of, of love. Now, think what happens, though, for us. We're, again, surrounded by a culture that doesn't teach us what love really is. We don't know what love is because it's skewed by media. It's skewed by culture. And so if you've got notes today, if you have your connection card handy, write this down because here's today's big idea. Here's what love does. Love isn't is. You'll never forget that. Love does. Love creates a culture of honoring God and honoring others. Love creates this culture of honoring God and honoring other people. Like literally, like when you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart and you're filled with his, his love, you're consumed with two things. How can I honor God who redeemed me and who saved me and sent his son? How can I live a life that pleases and honors God? And how can I honor other people? How can I love them as Christ has loved me? That's what love does. And that's the scorecard for every believer, that it will create a culture in your life, a culture where we do want to honor. See, we don't have a lot of rules. There are some black and white imperatives in the New Testament, like don't do this and do that. Like you need to read the New Testament. It does tell you that. But there's a lot of cray areas. And when it's left up to you, you've got to figure out, like, is love creating these actions in my life that's honoring God? That's my first priority. And is it honoring other people? See, love does. Love is it is. Killing some of you when I say that. Oh, I just see it in you. I, I love what John said. John was known as the apostle of love. Like he wrote, you know, again, Gospel of John, for God so loved the world, all that. But, but he writes uh, three little letters at the end of the Bible that's, that's there. And in 1 John 3.18, he says this. He says, dear children. And he says children. He wasn't teaching kids church that day, right? <laughs> this is, he was calling the, the adults here children to understand his authority in their life. He said, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we'll be confident when we stand before God. Let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's have actions that show it. Love creates a culture that honors God and honors other people in your life. That's the true litmus test of a follower of Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus because you come to church and believe in the Bible and believe in this guy named Jesus. That's, it's because you have received the gospel, you believed upon him, your life has been transformed, and you're just consumed with pleasing God and loving and honoring other people. That's what it is. And so what happens with that here, one of the confusing things about love is this. We think love is just letting anybody do everything all the time. That's what love really is, right? 
going to give you an illustration. You, you'll probably shake your head at me. So my son, I, I, we, we, I told you a couple weeks ago about cupcakes. He wants to eat cupcakes for breakfast. I'm trying to explain to him why cupcakes aren't good for breakfast and why I love him. And well, if you love me, you would let me do it. No, that's not really what love is. And you'd all agree, right? If I let my son eat cupcakes for breakfast every morning, would I be a good parent? No. How judgmental are you? How are you judging me? Judging me like that. So, no, no, you're right. It wouldn't. So we had this conversation recently. And we're talking about, like, so we watch these little Lego Avengers things I told you about, and it's 22 minutes. It's really safe and harmless. We get to talk about, you know, superheroes, and that's the thing I love. And so he saw the commercial for Endgame. He's like, it's the real people. <laughs> They're not Legos. <laughs> like, he just didn't know. He's like, it's the real. He's like, Dad, Dad, can we watch that? And I was like, ah, let's have a conversation, bud. It's four and a half. No. And I'm talking about, you would have thought that I was ready to destroy humanity. He fell on the ground crying and screaming, ah, you never let me do anything. Like, and I said, and finally I got him calmed down. I said, look, time out, let's, let's talk. I said, do you know why I can't let you watch that? Why? Because I love you. And then he just started screaming again, crying. I was like, oh, he ain't going to say. He finally calmed down. And here's the conversation we had. I said, son, if you watch this, it's going to hurt your brain. But my brain didn't hurt when I saw the commercial. It feels fine. <laughs> okay, let me say, son. To watch those things, I said, studies have shown that it will actually damage a part of your brain. You, you know how, I said, do you know how you think and you learn? You learn things at, at pre-K and you're learning and like you can do the alphabet and now you learned it in French and now you're doing this and that. And you're, you know, all this stuff. He's like, yeah, I was like, you're a really smart boy. I said, it will damage your brain. You won't be as smart anymore. And what I was referring to is there are studies that show that kids under the age of nine that watch extreme violence, it damages a part of their brain where they can't learn as well. It actually damages a part. To him, he couldn't understand. And so, but he said something, and now every time those commercials come on, because then Captain Marvel commercial come on and all that, he now says, I can't watch that, and you won't let me because you love me. And see, you all get that, right? You're all shaking your head. Do you understand that we are that child to our Heavenly Father? And when God gives us parameters, like he was telling the guys in Thessalonica, which is common sense, but it's like, hey, don't cheat on your wives. Whoa, come on, God, you don't love me. I don't have no fun here. Yeah, right, you know? How he does that because he loves us. That's what love, it, love does. And sometimes love will cause even our Heavenly Father to say, you know what? Ah, I can't let you go on that route. I can't let you. See, love creates a culture where you honor God and you honor other people when you have a chance to dishonor them. Uh, matter of fact, like if you have your notes handy, write this down because here's your next step because you're going to face this this week. Matter of fact, I guarantee you're going to face this today, and I'll tell you why in a second. But write this in your notes. Here's our, kind of our next step we take each week. And here's what you've got to boil this down to. Does this decision honor them or hurt them? Does this decision honor them or hurt them? That's the test of love. Like that, that's what it comes down to. So I'm sitting here, Friday I'm driving back from North Carolina, I had some ministry stuff I was doing, I was driving back, and I was kind of like going over the message in my head and praying and thinking and going through things, and as I'm driving, rubber meets the road, literally, like, no pun intended. So I'm driving, and this guy cuts me off in traffic on I-95. And then he bobs back out, gets in the right-hand lane. You know, he's trying to try to drive fast in the right-hand lane. It's not made for driving fast. That's for the slow, but tries to get around everybody. He can't. He's mad. So he does that. And so then he wants to try to get back in front of me. And he's, like, trying. I'm, you know what? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to let you do it. I will drive one car length behind. And then, you know what hit me? This is crazy. Okay, is this honoring this guy? Is this really honoring to him? 
because I'm going over this message. And I had to hit my foot on the brakes. I pulled back three car lengths so he could slide in. God bless you, sir. Um, I wanted to, to tell him he was number one, but I didn't do that. All right? So <laughs> it, it's simple things. When, you, when it comes down to it, when you're in an argument with your spouse and you want to do something vindictive to somebody, does this honor them or does this hurt them? We have a chance to gossip about somebody and talk about someone. Do you, does this honor them or does this hurt them? Is this decision in my life, is it honoring to other people? Is it honoring to God or does it hurt the other person? Because one thing about Christianity that is unique, if you're at odds with people, you're at odds with God. If you're at odds with people, you're at odds with God. Remember Jesus at one point said, if you have an issue with your brother or sister, like not just your siblings, but people in general, and you come to church, he says, if you have an issue with them, before you go to the altar to give your gift at the Jewish synagogue, you need to go find them and make it right. Because if you're at odds with people, you're at odds with God. And so you got to make the decision. Does this honor them or does this hurt them? It could be major decisions or it could be small decisions. But that is the true litmus test of love. Why? Because love does. Love isn't is. Because we're taught that love is a feeling. Right? Well, let me share this with you. Here, 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 here are two things that you were probably never told about love. And here are two things I tell everybody um, that we do premarital counseling with. Two thoughts, and write this down. What no one told you about love is this. Love is an action, not a feeling. If you are young in this place, listen to me once and hear me twice, as the guy from Saturday Night Live used to say. Love is an action, not a feeling. Because studies have shown, and I remember the greatest truth I learned about a relationship is this. When my wife and I first started dating, I got the, we got this book, and we started reading books about marriage before we ever got married, Right? If you're not married yet, learn about marriage first and learn about that. Uh, it's kind of like this. If you're getting ready to fight in a boxing match, do you wait the day of to start training? If you do, what's going to happen? You're going to lose. You know, many people lo lose in marriage because that's the same way. So we started reading th these books about marriage, and here's one of the most fascinating things. It said that anywhere from as little as 12, 14 months, all the way up to 24 months, a couple will lose the fuzzy, fuzzy feelings of love because you, know, you first start dating somebody you will say i am in love no you feel like you're in love right you have this feeling it's good nothing wrong with that i mean if you don't have that feeling don't move forward right if they don't make you feel you have feeling they know but but here's what happens and here's what's super is within 12 to 24 months that feeling goes away and that's when most couples that they're just dating will end up exiting the relationship because they don't have that feel i just don't feel i don't feel in love anymore I just don't feel it anymore. A lot of times people that are married say that. And here's the greatest mistake they make. They don't understand that love is an action. Love is not a feeling alone. Love is an action. And so what I tell people is this. Number one, if you can wait two years, wait before you get married because that feeling's going to go away. And you've got you to love by decision, not by feeling. Love switches. Where I'm loving you by decisions every day. And here's the thing about love, so much the action on a feeling. Love is based on sacrifice. So you won't know. I spent it this way to this couple. I said all day, I said, look, final words to you, getting married. Here's what marriage is. It's doing things you hate your whole life for someone else you love. Right? Like, I mean, even like the love languages. Anybody ever taken that love languages test before? Like, it's all cool until you realize you don't like to do what they want you to do. And if you both like the same thing, I'm like, ah, oh, no, 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 you don't pick something else. You, you, just, you just think you do. 
in three years will tell me I'm, I, that, that I'm right about this. So, so again, I've told you this illustration. My wife loves getting gifts. Guess who hates giving gifts? He's got two thumbs that hates giving gifts? This guy. And so I hate it. But I do things I hate because I love her, right? See, when you first are, are dating somebody, you just kind of just do, oh, I just, man, I just, it, we just, we're, we feel good. This is, this feels good. And that's what, that's what love really is. It's an action. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. I mean, think about the concept of love the way we've been uh, told is that it, it, it's a feeling only. But imagine this. Love is doing the things you hate. So think about this. Imagine love's the glue of everything. I tell my wife this. Hey, baby, you know the reason I do the dishes? You know the reason I vacuum and I do? Fellas, I set the bar high for you. You're welcome. You know the reason I do the laundry? You know the reason I do all this stuff? Because 13 years ago, on that day, when we went up to the altar, I was handcuffed by some vows that told me I had to do it, that's why I do it. <laughs> it's not very, it's, it's, you know, like, like, you know, like, or, you know, do you know the reason? Do you know the reason I don't do, you know, A, B, and C to you, whatever that is? That, you know the reason I don't do that to you? Because the Bible tells me not to. No, it's, it's because I, it's because why? Because I love you. And, and see, love is an action where there's things you don't engage in and there's things you engage in because of love. Love is a decision. And what we've been told is love is a feeling. And when it comes to us as Christ followers, there are times you ain't going to have the feels for somebody at all. That coworker in that cubicle next to you that taps their foot the whole time. It's like, it's like literally like, like you got rabbits just, just over there just jumping around. You're like, what in the world? You know? The person who breathes heavily with their, through their mouth that, that's next to you in, your, in that cubicle. It's the person who's trying to steal your clients. Right? It's all those things you face. You're not going to feel love toward them. But as a follower of Jesus, by action and decision, because of what Christ has done for you, you live that love out for them. It's in action. That's why you don't do those things. And finally, here's the next thing that love does. Love is what causes us to say no. That's the, the fuel. Again, if I told my wife, the reason I say no to all these things, because, yeah, the Bible tells me to. If it wasn't for that, you'd be in trouble. That's not romantic. See, love restrains us as followers of Jesus. It's like guardrails that gives us space to play and says, man, I'm not going that, that direction because I love God so much and I love other people so much because I love this person so much. Love causes us to say no to things. As I was thinking about this message and just kind of going through it in, in my mind and, and, and illustrations, I was trying to think about what is the greatest act of love that I've ever experienced? Now, I, I'm going to get to Jesus. Don't worry. That's fine. That's what you're supposed to say in church, right? We'll get there. But I thought about this. My parents were the greatest symbol of love ever in my life. My dad was not a lovey-dovey guy. He just did. I've told my son I love him more in four and a half years than my dad ever told me in 35 years before he passed. Now, my mom, she did tell me she loved me a lot. But I got to thinking about it. The emotional part, as I look back, on my, you know, them being my parents, wasn't, man, when I was 13, my dad come to me and he said, I love you. That's, just, that's the greatest act of love ever, right? I didn't think about that. You know, 
I woke up one morning or I went to college that day and mom said, I love you. And I was like, oh, it's just a symbol of love. I don't, I, I don't really remember any of that. If I can tell you what I do, I remember their sacrifice. I remember my, my mom got me to every football, basketball, and baseball practice and still ran her own business. And I wish I could go back and say thank you to her if she was alive. I look back at that. I said, you know how I know that my parents loved me? You know how I know it? The sacrifice. It calls them to say no to themselves for me. That's how it calls them to sacrifice. My dad rarely said I love you. Rarely. But you know what? I don't have any issues, any daddy issues, because I know my dad loved me. You know how I know he loved me? Because my dad put me through school debt-free, but it cost him his whole retirement. And he died before he ever retired. That's love. Love isn't saying, oh, I just love you so much. No, I know my parents love me because of what they sacrificed for me. And I'm going to tell you, that is the mark of Christian love, is what you're willing to sacrifice for other people, to honor them, to show them the love of Jesus. And you know what I'm thankful for today? You know what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? No other religion has where God the Father sent his best gift, his son to earth, to be crucified. There was never a point when the deity sacrificed everything for the creation. Study it. Fact check it. Study the major world religions and come back to me. Christianity is the only one where God says, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to sacrifice and send my one and only son. Just That's how we, see, God didn't say he loves us. He showed that he loves us. Remember that little nursery rhyme we used to sing? Or, you know, uh, that, that Jesus loves me so because the, kind of, kind of not 100% correct. We don't know Jesus loves us because a book told us. We know he loves us because he sacrificed his life for us. See, when you leave here, people are looking at your life to determine whether this Christian thing is legitimate. Show them a love that does, not just a love that is. Show them a love that sacrifices and honors them and values them. Don't just show them a love that feels good and you'll do it when you feel good for them because they're looking and you may be the only gospel that they ever read. And I say this here, you're going to need God's help with this. You know why? Because when you leave this church today, you're going to get on, uh, you know, Poe White, 288, Chippenham. You can go somewhere and when you do, somebody's going to cut you off in traffic and you better remember the little, if you never come back to this church again, remember the little bald man who told you that when you're going to not let them get, honor them. And I say that being funny, but you'll face it this week. When you have a decision to make, will this honor them or will this hurt them? What will this do for them? Love does. Love isn't is. Thank you, English majors. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just ask that you would help us to embrace this biblical idea of love that says no to things that are harmful to us and harmful to others. This idea of love that honors other people and pleases you. But most importantly, a love that shows the sacrifice of your son to the world. That the world around us can see that there's just something drastically different about us than everybody else. A love that causes them to question everything they believe. No greater love than a man laid down his life for his friends or her friends. Father, today, 
help us by way of your Holy Spirit, not only to experience your love, but to show your love. Thank you that you didn't shout your love from heaven. God, you showed your love from heaven. You demonstrated it by way of your son. May we now demonstrate it to a world that desperately needs a real definition of love. Help us with that this week. I pray for that, Lord. And as we're praying today, church, in a mode of prayer, maybe today you're coming to church and you say, you know what, I need to come back to faith in Christ. Maybe you say, man, I just, I just had just kind of some wild times in my life and I just, it's just time. Maybe for the first time ever, you've never made a decision for Christ. I don't know where you're at today, but there's somebody here today, it's their day to make that decision to follow Jesus. Right now where you're sitting, it's simple. I want you to pray this prayer, make this confession of faith after me. And when you do, your sins will be forgiven and you'll be made new, made right with God. Right where you're sitting, you say, God, I admit that I cannot save myself with good works or being a good person. Today, I trust you for salvation. I believe that Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross and he rose again on the third day to forgive me of my sins and make me right with you. So God, I turn from my sins, I turn from my old ways, forgive me today. I receive your full forgiveness of sins. Thank you, thank you for making me part of your family. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Now God, help me to live a life that honors you and honors others every day that I live. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week on